It's good to see real people in the room. And uh, thanks for joining us online also. And so uh, I get the joy of trying to figure out how to talk to both audiences today, the audience in the room and the audience online. So hi, online people. And the balcony people. Hi, balcony people. I think you're up there. Yes, yes. Hey, we're going to wrap up our study in the book of Acts this morning. Um, Yes, I know it's halfway through, but then it gets into Paul's journeys, and maybe another day we'll pick up on Paul's journeys and and continue the study in the book of Acts that way. But but, uh, for today, I feel like we get to end on kind of a high note and a challenge for the church, especially uh, the church maybe today. It can be pretty practical for us to understand what was going on. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12, because that's where we're going to be spending some time. One of the things that I believe with all of my heart is that God is not done with us yet. And I've always believed that. And I don't believe God is done with Mountain View. I I believe God has still got a bright future for us. And as individuals and as a church family, God wants to continue to use us. And, And I refuse to let the current times for, for the wait to get things back to normal, to believe that God is going to do something. And, and so I've really believed that, that really right now we can continue to grow. We can continue to become more like Jesus. We can continue to, to serve and, and be Jesus to people in the world. Why? Because the world needs the church right now to be outwardly focused, maybe more now than ever. Change is hard, and we embrace it. Why? Because we believe that God is doing something. And why do I say that? Because I believe in every, every season of awakening, when it came to Christianity, anytime the church seems to have woken up, and, and the, or a college campus, or a workplace, or, or a community, or even a nation, you can go back and you can study and you can see that it was related to this very intense and very persistent and, and this very continual corporate prayer Why? Because prayer changes things. And we believe that. I love what Samuel Chadwick said. He said this, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He goes on, he says, he fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Chadwick goes on, he says, such prayer prevails, it turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power, it brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life because it brings God. And so the enemy is scared when we pray. In other words, nothing we set out to accomplish individually or even corporately will be possible unless we commit ourselves to prayer. And so let's ask ourselves, how is our personal prayer practice? Like, how is our prayer life? What does it look like? What's our personal prayer practice like? If we were to document what you pray about and when you pray and how you pray, what would it look like? It's been said that you can actually embarrass the average Christian by asking this question. This question, why? Because it gets personal. It's because one of the disciplines that Christians struggle with the most is actually prayer. Yet if we believe God has more for us as an individual and God has more for us as a church and God has more for us as a community and as a family and as a nation... What will never happen is change because we neglected to 
authentically ask God about it, to ask God for it. And so the reason I think we struggle to ask is because if we're honest, we're actually skeptics of prayer. And the reason that we're skeptics about prayer is because sometimes we pray for things and guess what? They don't happen. And then there's other times there's things we want, but we actually don't pray about them and they do happen. And so all of a sudden I'm going, hold on, I begged and I pleaded and I asked for this and this didn't happen. And I really in my heart wanted this to happen and I prayed and prayed and prayed and guess what? It did happen. And so when it comes to this topic of prayer, sometimes we become skeptics because we just aren't sure if prayer actually works. And then to make it more complicated, we dig into texts like in Luke chapter 11, where the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And the reason that they asked him to teach us how to pray is because they saw Jesus performing miracles, they saw him preaching, and they didn't believe that, that the power came from the miracles or the preaching in of themselves. They believed that Jesus was praying and therefore he was able to perform miracles and he was able to preach. And so they said, listen, we want to perform miracles like you and we want to, we want to preach like you. And so Jesus, would you teach us how to pray like you? And if you remember, Jesus taught him the Lord's Prayer, our Father in our heaven who Hallowed be thy name. Most of us know that. And then Jesus tells the disciples this really interesting story to illustrate this idea of prayer about a man who in the middle of the night had some unexpected visitors show up and they were hungry and the man had no food. And so he goes next door to the neighbor's house and he basically says, listen, I have guests who showed up and, and I'm unprepared. Can I have three loaves of bread? His neighbor is already in bed. He's already asleep. Normal people usually do that at midnight. How many of us are normal? Or not? Yeah. And so especially in the first century, you go to bed when the sun goes down. And not only did you go to bed when the sun goes down, but you also likely slept in the same bed with your whole entire family. And so when the guy comes and knocks on the door to ask for bread... He's definitely a big inconvenience. Middle of the night, literally in the middle of his sleep, the whole family's woken, and he asks for bread, three loaves of bread, which probably would have been the amount of bread needed to feed his own family for the next several days. And so you get this story, you get this illustration that Jesus gives us, and, and it seems like the neighbor is brash and, and that he's excessive and, and that he picked the worst time possible to come and actually request this. And yet Jesus says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. In other words, the reason that he gets up and gives the man the three loaves of bread is because he kept standing at the door knocking. And if you heard that at midnight over and over and over and over and over, what are you going to do? How many of you are already annoyed? Yes. Yes, and especially if it's midnight and your whole family is tucked in bed with you. And so the neighbor gives the man what he asked for, but Jesus implies that he doesn't give it because they're friends or because they're neighbors, but because the man was annoying and he just wanted him to go away. And because of his boldness and his brashness and his persistence and ask, act, asking, and so Jesus compares this prayer to God. It's really interesting. In verse 11, it says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. 
I mean, won't our Heavenly Father, who never sleeps and loves us, give us whatever we need? I mean, even if an annoying neighbor can get an excessive and ridiculous request at the worst time possible in the middle of the night through persistence, don't we think who we, we are children of God, not an annoying neighbor? Don't miss that. But we have our request answered. Verse 9 says this, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you, and seek, and you will find, and knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who asks, or who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. These verb words, action words, ask, seek, knock, these words are not a one-time action. They're a continual action. It's implied that these are continuous. We don't ask once, we keep asking. We don't seek once, we keep seeking. We don't just knock once. Have you ever tried to go to your neighbor's house and hope they come to the door? No, no. And so it's this idea that we just keep knocking. And so Jesus tells how prayer for the power of the Holy Spirit works. And Jesus says that we ask repeatedly, we ask God over and over, why, why, isn't it God's intention to give us the power of the Spirit anyway? And then why not give us the Spirit the first time we, the power of the Spirit the first time we ask? And I'm not sure I can answer this question. But what I know is we get this incredible picture of who Jesus really is in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, who God is, is this. If then you, who are evil, I like how Jesus calls us evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, Jesus uses this word evil to describe us. Was it an insult? Probably not. Just a reminder that we're imperfect, that we're not perfect, that we mess up, we fall short. But think about it this way. Most of us actually think we're our very best when we're with our kids, don't we? Unless you're doing online school right now. And even at our best parenting moments, compared to God's love for us, God's care for us, God's desires for us, we still fall short. And Jesus is giving us as followers hope that we, we are like his precious children and that God will get up in the middle of the night when we ask and he won't be annoyed, he won't be bothered, but he will give us whatever it is that we absolutely need. When my boys need or want something, the boldness and the shameless persistence sometimes gets annoying. But not so with God. God delights in this. So this is part of really one of the longest introductions to a sermon I've ever preached. But it gives us this idea and this mindset, this groundwork for us to capture totally and completely what's being taught in Acts chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12. We're going to read this passage starting at verse 1. It says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And so here's the persecution again. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. 
And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And so Herod, he, is, he loves popularity. And so if the crowd likes it, guess what? He's going to do it. And so in this situation, he's already killed James, and, and, and so why not go get the leader? Let's go get Peter, let's lock him up, and we're probably going to accomplish the same thing with him. Verse 5 says, and so Peter was kept in prison, but, here it is, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest, seeking, asking, knocking, knocking, seeking, asking, asking, seeking, knocking. Do you get this? Like earnest prayer, that's what that means. Verse 6 says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, I love Luke's detail here, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. So he's being guarded with one on his right and one on his left, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door. So, So these soldiers are next to him, between him, and at the door by him. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. Now, when you think of strike, it wasn't a, Hey, 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 let's go. Wake up, wake up. No, he knocked him across the head. So, wake up. Wake up. Don't you know people are earnestly praying? Didn't you know that something was going to happen here? So he says, Wake up, get quickly. And immediately the change fell, fell off of his hands. And verse 8 says, And the angel said to him, Dress yourself. Come on, why aren't you ready? Get, get your sandals on. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He's thinking this is just a big dream, right? But thought he was seeing a vision instead. In verse 10, probably one of the coolest verses here. When they, who's the they? Angel and Peter. Angel and Peter passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened like one of those automatic grocery store doors. You know, just opened. Peter's probably thinking, I wonder how we're going to get through that one. And it just opens on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left. I'd be going, hello. What do you want me to do now? And verse 11 says, When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, all that the Jewish people were expecting to have done. Man, isn't this cool? Because here they are, they're praying, they're seeking, they're asking God, and God's in the business of doing things. Verse 12 says this, When he realized, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where they were gathered together. And what were they doing? They were praying. Earnestly praying, seeking, asking, knocking. And verse 13 says, And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, She did not let him in. Instead, she ran into the house and she reported that Peter was standing outside at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. 
This is baffling to me. You're praying, you're begging, you're pleading, you're seeking God. And, and, and they're saying, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, you're seeing an angel. Just an angel. But Peter continued to do what? Knock. Knock. Not once. Peter's like, hello, they're trying to kill me. Let me in. I love this moment. He kept knocking, and when they opened it, they saw him, and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, and then he departed, and he went to another place. Man, this is so cool. Because while they're praying, God is answering, but guess what? They're still wondering if God can actually answer because when Peter shows up it's a big surprise isn't it so I think there's a couple of lessons that I want to share with us this morning a couple of lessons I think are really important that we can learn from the praying church in Acts chapter 12 the first one is this they talked to God what they were afraid about whatever whatever scared them whatever made them afraid you know what they did first they talked to God about it they got on their knees when the future was scary and unpredictable and uncertain and somebody wanted somebody dead, what did they do? They talked to God. They prayed. Why? Because through our prayers, we can receive peace and we can receive rest. And I've talked about this a few years ago, but I love Psalm chapter 4 and Psalm chapter 5 because we get an insight into David's prayers. And, and to fully grasp the Psalms, you have to understand that we expect morning, we treat morning as the start of our day. But in the Jewish culture, evening before you went to bed was the start of your day. And so when you woke up in the morning, it was kind of the middle of your day. And so they started with sleep first, and then they got up and did their work. We start with work, and then we pray for sleep, right? But in Psalm 5, we get this really cool concept because David, he goes before God, and he begins to tell God about all the things that are stressing him out, all the things that he's worried about, about his enemies who are pursuing to kill him. He just goes to God, and he begins praying about all of these things. He, pray, he talks to God about the things that are making him angry. You almost get this, shake, this hand-shaking moment with David, reminding himself of God's promises then. He softens up a little bit, and I think that this is what we see in Acts chapter 12. We have an evening prayer. They're worried about Peter. He's supposed to be leading us. He's supposed to be showing us. He's supposed to be helping the church advance and the kingdom of God advance. But he's in jail and they are worried. They're afraid because Herod actually might come for them next. So what do we do? What do we do when we are afraid? What's the first thing we do? What we see, I think, in the church is when they're afraid, they prayed. And so let's develop this idea of an evening prayer. If we commit ourselves to talking to God about the things that scare us, about the things that worry us, about the things that make us afraid, guess what? We can find peace. And this is how David ends his prayer in Psalm chapter 4, his evening prayer. Verse 8 says this, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. Why? Because he's just given it all to God. He said, here it is. It's all for you to have. It's not for me to worry about. Give me rest. Give me peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Basically, David's saying, I can sleep. Because the evening prayer progressively enables David to unburden himself and to put his needs where his needs should be in the hands of God. And so we get to talk to the one whose hands control the universe. 
We get to talk to the one who takes care of me like a father. We get to talk to the one who promises to guide my steps and to lead me. And, and, who, and when I do this, sleep will overtake me and I will find peace and rest. And so let's make evening prayer a priority. Let's make our evening prayers those moments where we can say to God, God, here are my worries, here are my stressors, here are the things that scare me, here are the things that burden me, here are the things that drive me crazy, here are the things that are making me mad, here are the things that I just don't understand. And then we can say to God, God, now help me rest. But the second lesson I think we get in Acts chapter 12 is this, that they prayed to take the world by storm. This was their prayer. Help us take the world by storm. In the book of Acts, we find them continually praying for the mission. Why were they praying for Peter? Because without Peter, they felt they couldn't continue the mission of God, which is what? To reach the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus. And so back to Psalms. In Psalm 5, we find David waking up. He's getting himself ready for a new day, and he's eager, he's aggressive, and he is wanting to take the world by storm, and he wants to change the world. And it's the kind of prayer that we see in Psalm 5. The morning prayer is active, it's petitionary. He's begging, he's pleading, he's sharing, but it is marked by boldly praying when he wakes that I'm ready, I'm ready. And the early church, the early church knew God's desire, God's will was to get the gospel to the ends of the earth no matter what. They didn't know how. They didn't know through who. They didn't know when. They knew it was God's purpose. And so what were they doing? They were on their knees praying, saying to God, God, you will make it happen. Use me. God, you can do this. Use me. And so in Psalm 5, this is what we get, David's prayer. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning. How many of you groan when you wake up in the morning? Mm -hmm. And give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for you do, I pray. You know, these couple verses, David has drawn attention to his groaning. David's sharing his deepest fears, again, his deepest hope, his deepest concerns, and the biggest longings of heart. But it goes on to verse 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So David lays his request before God. And this is a good lesson for us to bring our, our, our request to him first thing in the morning. We need to turn up our groans into prayers. Otherwise, we'll go through the day and you know what we'll do? We'll just keep groaning. We'll just keep groaning. And the anxiety will overtake us and the self-pity and the anger and the self-absorption. It goes on, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, but I through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house and I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. So lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. For those who love your name may exult in you. Did you catch it? He's preparing. He's watching. He's preparing. He's watching. He wants to be used by God. He wants to take the world by storm. And he wants to change the world. There's a confidence that comes when we pray. We don't have to second guess. We don't have to worry. We don't have to stress. We can allow God to act, which gives me the ability to relax just a little. 
We don't have to take revenge. We don't have to overwork. We don't have to cut corners. We don't have to cheapen ourselves. We can trust God that he will care for us. And so how does David have this trust? How does David possess this? How does he get his heart into the right place? There is confidence that God is going to hear him when he asks. There is a confidence that God is going to respond. And I've realized that many times when I pray, I sometimes offer prayers that are filled with cliches or platitudes. And what I've realized is sometimes we pray for things that God's already given us the answer to. We pray for things constantly that God has already promised. And I don't want you to hear me wrong. Please don't hear me picking on these prayers because that's not what I'm doing. But hear me comparing them to praying the way David prayed. And hear me comparing them to the way that we should pray about the advancement of God's kingdom and taking the world by storm to change it versus these prayers. So we pray things like this, God, be with us. Promised, done, signed, sealed, delivered, guaranteed, complete. Does that make sense? Like, but we keep praying, God, be with us. He's like, hello, I am. How much more with us does this mean? In you? Your heart? Like, my spirit? Does that make sense? Help me with my test. Oh, didn't study again. Didn't use that brain that I already gave you to be able to study, to prepare for the test that you were going to take. And so now you're begging me when I've already equipped you with everything you need to be able to take that test. Again, I'm not picky. How many of us pray because we religiously pray before every meal, even when it's a double half-pound patty, cheese, and bacon? Lord, bless this meal I'm about to eat. Um, can't do that. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, like, seriously, how about this one? Traveling mercies. I, I like this one. God, give us traveling mercies. How about you put on your seatbelt, you drive the speed limit, you don't text when you drive, and guess what? You got it. Now, again, I'm not picking on these prayers, but as we think about these prayers, how do these prayers help us advance the kingdom of God? How are we praying to take the world by storm, to advance His kingdom, to make the world as much like His kingdom as possible? Let's pray for action. Finally, the last concept I pick up from their prayer is their prayers were persistent. Continually they prayed, continually they asked, continually they sought, and continually they knocked. Continually, continually they knew it was God's desire to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And currently they have a big problem. Big problem. Peter, one of the key leaders, is arrested, he's in prison, and he's likely going to be beheaded the very next day. He's temporarily out of the game, and the other is killed, permanently out, and so they don't know if Peter is going to survive this or not, and yet, at peace, they're at peace if he doesn't. They believe the enemy cannot win, they believe the enemy cannot destroy the church, or stop the progress, and stop the advancement of the kingdom, and so what do they do? They get on their knees and they pray, they say, God, you've got to do something, you've got to make something happen, because God, we can't do it, and so you need to do it, and we're not going to stop praying, God, we're not going to stop seeking you, we're not going to stop asking you, we're not going to stop knocking until the door is open and you give us the opportunity to continue the advancement of the kingdom and make Jesus 
Jesus known to the entire world. We're just not going to stop. They prayed and prayed and prayed and wouldn't give up. They kept asking. They kept calling. They kept knocking. They prayed like the needy neighbor. Because of the prayer, Peter, Herod's prize prisoner, walks out of jail with automatic doors long before they were even invented. And guess what? Right under Herod's nose. It was a mockery with the amount of soldiers who were guarding him, who were locked up next to him. And and right under his nose, the night before Herod was going to have Peter killed, there's a weird twist of events. And this is what happened. Herod gives a speech. Listen to the speech. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, he took his seat upon the throne, and he delivered an oration to them. And look what happens next. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not of man. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, took him out, because he did not give God the glory. This is a little gross, but interesting. And he was eaten by worms. And he breathed his last breath. Verse 24 says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. Like Herod, the most powerful man, got destroyed by what? Worms. Worms. Dead. Gone. And the word of God increased And the advancement of the the kingdom of God continued. And I think there's one point. And the point is this. Don't mess with a praying church. Don't mess with a praying church. And I love ending our scattered series on this note because when we pray, things happen. Because when we pray, things expand. Because when we pray, God responds. How do we know that? Because in Acts chapter 1, the disciples were gathered together for 10 straight days in the upper room, and they prayed to God, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And guess what? In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. And then in Acts chapter 4, they prayed, and God filled them with boldness, and literally turned Jerusalem upside down. And by the end of chapter 5, there were over 10,000 new Christians in Jerusalem. One One of the harshest critics of all was actually saved. And eventually Paul, in Acts chapter 12, they prayed and God breaks into a prison and strikes down Herod, their persecutor with worms. And we're stopping here, but if you keep going in Acts chapter 13, they pray and God releases Paul to be a missionary the greatest missionary the world had ever known. And all this happens. Why? Because people prayed. Because in the midst of the chaos and the uncertainty, they were on their knees saying, God, use me, use me, use me. Advance your kingdom. And so I I don't know what your prayer life is like, but let me just challenge you. Start praying. In the evening before you go to bed, Give God your worries and your stressors and the things that you can't understand, the things that keep you awake. Hand them over to Him and ask Him, God, give me rest and give me peace. 
Tell him your worries and your stressors right before you go to bed and see if you can find peaceful rest. And when you wake, pray Psalm 5. God, I'm ready for action. Give me boldness, courage. Give me life-giving moments where I can breathe life into people around me. Doesn't the world need that? Don't we need life-giving people all around us? Pray. Pray. We don't have to wait for Sunday to pray or your grow group to pray or the meal to pray for God to bless that full pound burger with bacon and cheese. Gather. Gather with one another and pray. Not for a hedge of protection, but that God would break down that hedge so that we might advance outside of it and usher in His kingdom. That we would pray, God, help us. Help us. Help us fulfill the prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just pray. Pray. Keep praying. Seek. Ask. Knock. And when you did it, do it again. And again. And again. And again. Just pray. Let's sing.